Cheers, thank you. Um, yeah, God's going to be um, speaking to people tonight. Um, I just encourage you to have your hearts open, your ears open, and and yeah, tonight I'm going to be talking and speaking into baptism, what it is, why it's needed, and who it's for. Um, primarily going to be looking at baptism through the, the verses from Luke chapter 3, verses 9 to 7. And I'm just going to set the scene first, though. So while you're flipping through your uh, Bibles trying to find it, I'll just set the scene. And um, who's speaking here and who, who he's speaking to? And it, it's this guy that is speaking. He is called John. He's a little strange. He, to cover his modesty, he wears nothing but camel hair. And he holds that in place with just a single leather belt. And he eats locusts and honey. So uh, he wouldn't exactly be great to look at, and if anything, probably offend most people that saw him. Inasmuch that if I was to be standing here today in just my speedos, you'd probably be offended, maybe a little bit grossed out. But thankfully I'm not. But this is significant when we look and understand who he's speaking to. And uh, he's actually speaking to a a group of Jews from Jesus' day called Pharisees who took immense pride and in themselves, in their appearance, and, and they were constantly wanting to give off the impression that they are holy and perfect. They believed that if they looked holy and perfect, then they've earned God's favor. And at the forefront of their pride and arrogance was the fact that they have descended from Abraham. Now, Abraham was the father of the Jewish race. And he was the one that God gave all these amazing promises to. And it's similar to the fact, if you were to imagine, for instance, if I was related to King George IV, and I'd be entitled to his inheritance, and I'd be feeling pretty good and proud about myself, and I'd be royalty. And so this, this, you know, this fact that they were related to Abraham buffed them up, gave them an immense sense of pride and arrogance. So, this is John, it's weird, and he's talking to these guys, and let us read this passage in Luke 3. It'll be on the screen behind me, hopefully, and um, yeah, from verses 7 to 9. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, John this is, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is from these stones able to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I was just going to pray. <laughs> yeah, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it speaks life. Lord, even after 2,000 years, Lord, your word has power to cut through hearts and minds, cut through bones, Lord. And I just pray tonight, Lord, as we hear your word, that you will speak to us. Speak life, speak creation and, and thanksgiving and praise and, and mercy and grace, Lord. We want all those things tonight and we want to know you more. We ask that in your holy name. Amen. So what is baptism? Baptism up to this point in history was part of the process for a non-Jew to be conformed and accepted into the Jewish race. It was a ceremonial washing to signify 
They're washing away of sin and their old life. So they can start a new life following God and his people. It mirrors two extremely significant points in Jewish history. Firstly, it mirrors the crossing of the Red Sea, where God's people said goodbye to our life of slavery and hello to our life of following God. And secondly, it mirrors the crossing of the Jordan, where God's people said goodbye to disobedience and strife and hello to obedience and promises fulfilled in a prosperous land. So baptism, like these two stories, is a significant display of the decision we have made in our hearts to no longer be slaves to sin, but instead call God our king and follow him the rest of our days. So why is John saying this to supposedly God's people? That you need to repent and be baptized. Because in their arrogance, they believed that they had earned God's favor. Which is wrong. You can never earn God's favor. If our salvation was dependent on us living a perfect life, we would never achieve it. We could never be saved. We need to humble ourselves and realize that we need a savior. Salvation is not something that is earned, but is given. In in verses 7 to 8, where we see John start to sort of probe them and lay into them a bit, John is wanting to be sure that they have humbled themselves. He wants to test them, and he attacks their pride in calling them a brood of vipers, which is quite an apt insult when you think about what a viper is like, in that it's a very venomous and dangerous snake that is quite quick and seemingly untouchable. So John, in saying this to them, is saying, you who think, you who you think is untouchable and beyond reach, listen. God can take something as meek and measly as a stone and make that into a child of God. We see often in scripture how God opposes the proud but blesses the humble. Jesus himself says in Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. You might be thinking at this point, why are we listening to me speak about some arrogant religious Pharisees and it's not a job called John? I encourage you to stick with me. Keep listening. There is something profound here. There was no reason that anyone should have listened to John. He was not a professional sportsman. He was not a glamorous actor or singer. He was not a politician. He was not a scientist. He was not a comedian. Or he didn't even have his own YouTube channel. He was not on Big Brother And he was not on a TV show called Keeping Up with the Baptists. There was nothing about John that added to his social status. But people would listen to him. And by their hundreds they listened to him. This tells me that his words must have meant something. His words must have been powerful. You might not be an arrogant Pharisee like we see here, but I ask you, do you think life is all about you? All about what you want and what you want to do? Because that is what the media, the world even keeps telling us. It tells us to do whatever you want. Chase your dreams. If it feels good, do it. Don't worry about the consequences. Do what you want to do. You are all that matters. These Jews here, these Pharisees here, thought life was all about them. What they could do, what they could achieve. They made their life all about them instead of all about God. John wants them to understand that we are all sinners in need of repentance and that we are helpless actually to save ourselves. John is, as in verse 4, just before this section, shows us that he is preparing the way for the Lord, showing them that they need a saviour, showing them that actually you need Jesus. 
God in this situation, just like the story of Moses and the Red Sea, and just like with yourself today, is leaving no room for you to boast in what you've done, but instead demanding your complete surrender. We, know, we come to know God and be accepted by God, not from what we have done or achieved, but by humbly admitting what we've done wrong and accept that Jesus is the only way to come to God. John's next little warning and attack as he keeps laying into them is, you know you belong to God by the type of fruit that you bear. Do not rest on the fact that you're related related to Abraham for your assurance of being saved, but see that it is the type of fruit that you bear that is the evidence of your salvation. John helpfully illustrates this by comparing our salvation to fruit trees. So if we were to say that all these Jews were, were apple trees, and I, I've worked on a fruit farm myself, and I know you can have a whole orchard, fields and fields of apple trees. And some bear fruit, but some don't. And some others bear bad fruit. That doesn't change the fact that they're an apple tree. And this is, this is John's point here. That, yeah, you may well be related to Abraham, but it is the fruit that you bear that is evidence of your salvation. It is not who you are, not your status, your title, or what you've done, but it is God at work in you. Also, what this, other, this picture tells us, actually, with the, with the illustration of the trees and the fruit, is that we will be judged. And as a judge, with a view of life is all about me and what I want, comes hand in hand with the lie that actually no one can judge me. No one can say that I'm wrong. This picture here of fruit trees and many other pictures in the Bible like it actually tell us that one day we will be judged. That God himself would judge and separate the good fruit from the bad. Many other examples like separating the wheat from the chaff, the sheep from the goats. In order to be fruitful, we need God in our lives. We need his Holy Spirit. We are filled with his Holy Spirit, as it says in Acts. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. John's baptism was a foretaste of what Jesus is bringing and offering. He says in verse 16, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So the baptisms that we have today, we've seen today, and we're going to do today, are greater than that what we've actually received with John. His was pointing toward what Jesus is bringing, pointing pointing towards Jesus' baptism, which Jesus himself commands us to take. In the, the, uh, the the commission, the big commission to his disciples in Matthew 28, he says to go into the world making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And with this, there's another mirror as such added to what baptism represents. Where it still mirrors the crossing of the Red Sea and the Jordan, it now also mirrors our position and our position in, in Jesus' death and resurrection. Romans 6 best describes this to us, that when we are baptized into Christ Jesus, we are baptized included in his death. So that his suffering and his death has paid and dealt with all our sin. So that we can be included in his resurrection and walk in the newness of life. 
We can walk now in a relationship with God. We have his Holy Spirit in us. That is God in us. So we get baptized because Jesus commands it. And it reflects, symbolizes our heart's decision to say goodbye to our life of slavery, serving King me, and hello to a new life following King Jesus. Goodbye to disobedience and strife, and hello to obedience and promises fulfilled. Goodbye to condemnation and wrath, and hello to forgiveness and glory. Goodbye to death, and hello to life. amazing and this can uh, at the front of it seem quite whoa where's God's love in this and uh, this is love that he loved us you might be (laughs) wallowing in self-pity or woe with me or you might be (laughs) raging in arrogance and pride but God's love is for you You don't deserve it. You have not earned it. But he loves you. And he loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to take your place so that you could come to know him. And baptism represents that. And it's the start of a life of following Jesus. Start of a life living with Jesus as Lord and Savior. not very long my talk tonight i'm just about to close actually but um if i could ask the band to come join me on the stage cheers i'm not finished i've got a little bit more (laughs) but yeah would you stand with me actually and um i just ask you um to close your eyes You know, it's this time when we uh, do business with God. It's this time where it's just about you and him. And, um, and I want to finish by asking you again, that um, do you think life is all about you? That it's all about what you want and that's all that matters? Or even that God will accept me. He accepts everyone, right? I've been to church, that's enough, right? Then consider these words. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. We cannot remove that axe by earning brownie points. We cannot make it disappear by ignoring it. But we must surrender to the fact that we can only be saved through Jesus Christ. It is by God's mercy that he's not swung it yet. And it's by his grace that we have an opportunity to respond. (laughs) It's by his compassion that he gives it to us. By his love. It is, this is love that he loves us. We have an opportunity to respond, to accept Jesus and make him Lord of our lives. To be filled with his spirit so that we can bear good fruits. And I just want to ask you to search yourselves. That if, if this is you and you would like to respond and to surrender and invite Jesus to be king of your life. Please just, just raise your hand. Signify, you know, signal yourself to me. For those of you here already Christians, I ask you, is Jesus Lord of all your life? Are there areas that you're actually unwilling to surrender? 
Even now the Spirit will be talking to you, prompting you. Or even, are you still thinking that you need to earn your place, earn forgiveness and your inheritance? And consider what you heard tonight. We cannot earn God's favor. We are given it. It's not about what you've done. It's about what Jesus did. Janae is just about to lead us into a couple of songs. And I just encourage you, let's do some business with God. Let's open our hearts. Let's give everything, actually, the things that we do hold back. Because he is Lord and Savior of our life. We have so much to be grateful for. The reason we come here every Sunday and celebrate is because <laughs> he loves us despite that we should not be loved. He chose us despite the fact that we should not have been chosen. Praise God.